this episode of the Musician's Journey podcast. During my time in Stockholm, I've come across Kim Godraj in settings where she's been drumming while leading a choir concert, posted music videos on Facebook, or advertised for her courses called Voice Activation. So in my mind, she's very much an outward-going musician, and I was surprised to find out during our conversation for this episode that her decision to make music for a living was a fairly recent event, and that she can at times feel a little insecure in taking this role. The music in this episode is an improvisation that Kim has made by singing on top of her own voice and drumming. And in the end, there is a song that will make sure that you remember how to get in touch with her after you close whatever app you're listening to this podcast from. And now, over to the interview. It's quite hard to introduce know, myself. Like, I know. Who the hell am I? <laughs> I know. Um, my name is Kim Gadraj, and I... I'm now working full-time as a voice coach and musician, especially vocalist. It's a busy time right now because um, I was working in a company in Stockholm. That's why I moved to Stockholm. And in the end, I quit this job. I felt like there wasn't really space for my creativity and spending so much time full-time in, in a job. I just felt exhausted in my free time and like really like there was something missing in my life. But the beautiful thing was about that job is that I was essentially running a website. I was hired when I still lived in Bolivia to come over and launch the Spanish division of a website that was already doing very well in English. And so I got all of this experience of how to run an online company and how to have content online and how to sort of monetize that. And so what I've done recently, um, I've been teaching workshops for many years, but what I've done recently is taken all of that knowledge and those skills from running this website and putting it into my vocal business, which is really exciting because it suddenly opens up all of this space. It's like I can bring my coaching online to people and I can also bring a lot of my creativity online in this way that becomes really playful to me. Mm. It feels so empowering right now that I have the internet and all of these platforms available to me and I can just sort of let my creativity run wild, whether it's designing how to make a beautiful course for somebody to follow online 
or whether it's sort of bringing my own music and my own creativity into these little videos and songs and things like that. Yeah, you know, this morning uh, when I was doing yoga and, uh, and I was uh, briefly thinking about you coming here pretty soon and I got this song in my mind, the Diana, oh Diana, <laughs> and it made me curious about what or if there is some kind of business oriented idea behind it when you make a music video and post in social media and that's just something I've been thinking about very recently when I myself suddenly have an idea behind what I'm posting which is uh, being more visible as a cellist and attracting some cello students or anyone looking for a cellist. Uh, do you have an agenda when you post? I mean, when I posted this video for Diana, it was for her birthday. Yeah. And this was actually a time when I was coming out of what was actually a pretty dark place. Like, I started to get these really bad migraine headaches. And it meant that for a couple of months, um, almost a year ago, I was really bedbound for a lot of the time these bad symptoms like light sensitivity and sound sensitivity that meant that I really just had to stay in a silent, dark room for most of the time and sort of like reaching almost the depths of despair because I didn't know if this was going to go away. I didn't know how to make it go away. I did a lot of research when I could even look at a screen. For about a month I couldn't even look at a screen or even listening to a podcast for 15 minutes would sort of like really drain me. And so I was in this pretty dark space of, wow, I have lost my life right now and I don't know if I'm gonna get it back. And everything got put on hold, literally everything. It was quite refreshing in a way because I take on a lot of responsibility in my life and I think I became actually quite overwhelmed by all of the different things that I was doing and all of the different balls I was trying to keep in the air. And so around the time I made this video for Diana, it was when I was sort of like emerging from this den, this dark, silent den and just feeling so joyful and grateful that my health was coming back. And I still wasn't doing anything to do with voice coaching or starting my business. This song really just came from pure love for my friend and wanting to give her a nice birthday present and just feeling so joyful and playful. But what I would say, like now that I'm launching my new website, I've got a new website coming very soon, which is just going to be the URL of my name, kimgadraj.com. And so I have made a very similar song also very, very silly, very, very playful. And I spent all of the weekend just now acting out this song so that I can make a very similar music video. And I just had so much fun, like dancing and playing around and, and holding the cat and doing all of these different things in the video. And so there, yes, I do have an agenda. And it's inspired by that time when I did not have an agenda. Mm. And just this ability to yes, want to attract people to my website and want people to come and sing with me in my workshops. 
to do that and to be able to do it in this playful way and also this creative way. I'm also doing some work with a lot of vocal improv and making multi-tracks of myself sort of improvising over my own voice and then recording those into videos too so people can just sort of like watch the improv process. It just feels like so much opens up. It's like, yeah, I'm being entrepreneurial and there is definitely an agenda, but to be able to do that and bring all of this playfulness and creativity and just actually pure joy into that, it feels like everything is just do, 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 falling into place and everything that I love and everything that I do well is just in this crazy alignment. Wow. I have so many questions at the same time. <laughs> I must try to keep focus. I, the first thing that comes to me is how did it go from so dark to so light? I think that dropping a lot of the things that I was really tied into in terms of responsibility and also responsibility that forced me to be hyper-organized and efficient and really on it. There was not really space for the messy, creative Kim in that life. And I think just dropping everything and having all of these days, so many days of just lying and being with myself was very restorative and gave me a lot of insights into who am I really and what do I really want? What do, how do I want to feel every day? And what do I want to do every day? And it was really forcing me to be reflective because when I can't watch Netflix, like, you know, often if I'm sick in bed, I'm just like watching Netflix or something and just yeah. chilling out. But to not be able to do that because of the glare from the screen and to not really be able to listen to podcasts because of the sound, it just forced me to be there with myself on my own completely in touch with my inner world. I think there was some kind of breakthrough in that that just allowed me to emerge in this way and very, very carefully. I was very careful in how I came back into life again, mm. choosing very carefully my yeses. What do I really want to do? What are the things that make me feel this like butterfly feeling in my stomach? And all of those things were to do with music and also holding space. These are the two things that make me feel like a little fish in the water. Mm. And I think just giving myself that gift of focusing on those things only and being able to put really all of myself into that, it was what I needed. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so just to get some context, because your story is so exciting you did not study music you you've been traveling a lot living in uh, bolivia cycling around in southeast asia and then you realize you want to do music at this point after this whole other journey you've been through already so that means you have some skills that a lot of musicians now i think really wish they would have because the things you have from your uh, early profession are things that are not really included in a music education. 
but it's still so useful. Anything to do with technology and websites, all of these things that you now can really utilize. Yeah, it's just really exciting to meet you at this point when you... How long has it been since you made the move and decided to make music your profession? Let me think about this question. Yes. Well, I think it was in 2019 that I actually quit my job in Stockholm and decided, right, I'm gonna focus on voice coaching, coaching. And actually this brings up a topic, like I think I think if I explain to you my reaction when you asked me to be on the podcast, it will sort of put in a little nutshell the thing, because exactly like you say, I haven't really had much of a musical education. I did not study music at university. And when you asked me, do you want to be on my podcast, The Musician's Journey? I just thought to myself, I can't be on a podcast <laughs> called The Musician's Journey. Like, I am not a musician. And this has been this thing, like, through my whole life, this being able to step into the role almost of the musician. I mean, I was put in um, classical music one-on-one -on -one classes from when I was pretty small. I had singing, classical singing lessons from when I was seven to 18. And then I had piano from also seven to 18. And I learned the violin a bit and the guitar a bit. But when I was in school and I was having those classes, it was like, there was always somebody who was better than me. And I'm doing this like inverted commas thing with my fingers right now as I say that because sort of my perspective on that has changed. Mm -hmm. But I was quite strong academically in school and I felt like the teachers always put a lot of focus on my academic potential and like you, you're going to apply to Oxford or Cambridge and this kind of thing. So music always took a back seat in my awareness and also in the sort of validation and praise that I got from adults as I was growing up. But really, anyway, it has always been with me. I have always been writing silly little playful songs on the guitar. I've always been sort of bringing music into groups and getting people to sing and play with me and that kind of thing. I guess it was in about 2016 that I really actually started to write songs in a more serious way. It feels a little bit like before that, I didn't really feel like I had anything to write a song about. Like, I had traveled a lot, I had seen a lot of the world, but I was still pretty young. How old was I in 2016? I'm born in 88, so mm. I can't do the math right now on the top of my head, <laughs> maybe sort of like 28-ish. And still, I didn't really feel like, I felt like any lyrics that I would write were quite empty. There's a lot of vulnerability and playfulness as well, but that sort of like soul emotional depth wasn't really there in any lyrics. And it was around that time, 2016, when I was living in Bolivia, that I started to feel like, wow, I, I'm growing in myself and maturing into some kind of wisdom that provides me with this content for lyrics. Mm. And it's really been ever since then that I've been almost struggling with this ability to almost step into my power and this identity as a musician. And it gets better and better, but I can still feel it now. Like, you, mm. like from this reaction about being in your podcast, I can still feel this resistance to calling myself a musician. <laughs> mm.
this musician's identity often comes up, or I guess I often bring it up when I when I talk to people, because I just find it fascinating how to relate to this identity then that um, for many people just came long time ago and then it's just been there especially if you've then been studying music then there's this idea that okay i'm a musician then uh, it wasn't really a, a conscious happening uh, or a choice necessarily and this can um, make us feel a little handicapped uh, i'm not <laughs> talking about uh, you necessarily as in us but like people who then identify with this label in that when things musically doesn't go really well you know if it's linked to identity it can uh, really bring us down and then bring us up again when things uh, go well and that's definitely the case uh, for me it can be really hard to find uh, the same sense of purpose in life if I feel I haven't been uh, playing as much as I should or improving in the way I should or maintaining my practice the way I should this word um, I think yeah but what do you is it okay if I jump in because you make me think about yeah, something yeah. yeah do you know the book the artist's way by Julia Cameron no it's this beautiful 12 week I think it is course on recovering or discovering one's creativity and it applies to sort of any form of artist and there are these beautiful little practices that she gets you to do and I haven't done the whole course I think I got to about week six and then week six was you can't read anything for a week because uh, it was the idea that you close off your inputs so that you can get more output mm. that there's you know yeah. if you have inputs all the time then there is not much room for outward flow in the form of creativity but I have found really valuable the parts that I did I couldn't do week six because then I was basically working as an editor and I was like how can I not read <laughs> for mm. a week yeah. but what she says is she gets one to really internalize I am an artist in this sort of empowering way and at the same time she gets you to focus on process not result and sort of this joyful process of being creative mm. without focusing too much on what is the what is the product of what I'm creating because that's been very helpful to me I think it helps a little bit with this thing that you say about identifying as a musician and then if mm. things don't go well it can feel sort of destructive almost mm. but being able to drop into the process of being creative and find this presence and joy in just doing the creative work has really helped me to still identify as an artist or identify as a musician even if the way that things turn out is not what I expected. on my 
my intention with this podcast and one thing that I would love to hear something about is how you have I guess made a plan and structured your days and actually found a way of doing music for a living is that what you do now yes like the logistics how did you figure out that well Partly when I worked in the startup that I worked in when I moved to Stockholm, I was onboarded into all of their processes and how things are done. So one very useful tool that I use is Trello. Mm, yeah, I know it. Yeah, which really allows me to stay organized because I have sort of content publishing, planning and different ideas and I can sort of keep track of everything and put links and documents into little cards. So that helps me stay, I guess, mentally organized. When it came to building a, I guess, yes, strategy around what is this business going to be and how I want to do it. My first starting point was really, what do I want my days to look like? Imagining that this all works out and it, it, it sort of works and doesn't fail. Um, how do I want my days to look? And so a big part of that was my favorite way to work with people is to see them live for a course or a workshop. And leading workshops is really another one of my passions. It really feels like I'm in a flow when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. So one of the, or the main focus of everything I do online is to get people to know me and hopefully with time as they become familiar with me, sign up and come and be with me in a course using our voices in a container live together. Mm. And at the same time, I'm aware that I love, I lo I'm not very experienced in, in shooting or editing video, but I do love it. And I've made a lot of different little videos with music tracks about my different travels around the world and, you know, making the Deanna song. So I've been playing with that. I've been getting to know it a little bit in play. And also the songs that I write and doing vocal improv, being creative and bringing my own self as a musician into things is another big part of what it's important to me to be able to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So this became part of the strategy, I guess, of bringing people to my website, publishing on YouTube, um, and they're not ready yet, but publishing on YouTube little, maybe silly or playful songs or videos of me improvising and different things like this that, yes, might help drive traffic to the website. And they also fulfill this need that I feel inside me to really have this outlet for my creativity. Mm. So part of it is about that. And then the rest is really around how often I would like to publish, how often I will send out a newsletter, how much time do I want to spend at a desk versus coaching in real life. And I cannot say that there is a structure around each of my days, like every day I do this at this time, I don't really have that routine. 
but I do have an overall plan of what do I want to get done this month and looking at my calendar, when is the smart time to do each of these things? So I am a planner mm. and I do feel this sort of balance between messy creative Kim and tight planning, everything is organized Kim. It's, it can be a job sometimes to get them to work together, but I feel like I'm actually getting there with that. Wow. That sounds really awesome to tap into, or being aware of tapping into the various aspects of oneself. I feel like bringing up that I um, deliberately placed myself a little closer to the mic than you, because I don't have this or I never felt like, you know, connected to my voice in this way of like bringing out some volume, <laughs> using support and all of those things. And uh, of course, I've, I've received lots of invitations to your voice activation classes. And uh, Mohammed went to one of them and he was really, really happy when he got back. And uh, one reason, uh, or I guess the only reason I don't go, is that whenever I try to work on my voice, I start crying. And if I try to, or I feel pressured to explore raising my voice, really getting something out, I just start crying. And then that's just a sabotage. And I can't continue with anything. Do you have any idea of uh, what's going on with me? Wow, I mean, I think that I would need to work a little bit more with you to figure out what might be affecting you personally in this situation. When I work with people more one-on-one, -on -one, I do a more somatic experiencing construct processing approach where we really dive into how does it feel when you use your voice in this way and what is going on there? But I would say that what I call voice activation, and I, I like the name of it, and I sort of like Googled that a little bit when I was thinking what to call what I do, and I found that other people call what they do voice activation as well, but my voice activation is really this accumulation of everything I've learned and everything that I've explored with my own voice. And a big part of it is just coming to love our own voice for exactly what it is. And of course, yes, learning these practical techniques and tools for how to give the voice more power when we want to. But what I can find is that if I really, if I really use my vocal mechanism in this extra technical way that I learned with classical singing, in a way that really smooths over all of these little breaks and imperfections in the voice, the voice loses a lot of its beautiful colors. Because, you know, when I feel an emotion, there are these changes, like we can see in somebody's face, often how they're feeling and these facial muscles that change when we feel a different emotion are also affecting the resonant and harmonic quality of the voice mm. and for me that's what makes the voice so beautiful 
is when somebody is singing or speaking and we can feel their vulnerability coming through, whether it's sadness or grief or joy or anger even. And when these colours of expression come through on the voice, there are all of these little natural breaks and imperfections or more breath comes into the voice and all of these different things that when I learned classical singing were not allowed mm. as a singer. Now what I call voice activation is really balancing this, balancing the ability to support the voice and giving it more power with the ability to let all of these little colours and breaks and what would usually be called imperfections come through. So it is quite an emotional process to work with the voice and it can be a little bit hard for me to explain that to people who are coming to a workshop. Like This can actually be quite raw, deep self-work mm -hmm. and there is often a lot of crying in my workshops and courses and retreats. And so I wouldn't say that you would be alone no. in, in this experience that you have and mm -hmm. the voice is so strongly connected to the emotions when when somebody's angry or happy or sad we can hear it in their voice yeah. and what that means is that when I use my voice to almost imitate those colors of expression I very quickly start to feel those emotions it's a little bit like I'm, I'm putting my hands up now and sort of like flexing my biceps. You know, this power pose that people say that you can do for five minutes before you're going to go on stage and give a speech or something. Because holding the power pose has this sort of feedback loop effect of making us feel more powerful. Mm. It's a very similar thing. If I use my voice to go into very raw grief expression, I very quickly, within seconds, start to feel this raw grief. And if I go into that for a little while, I really start to feel like I'm releasing something on my voice. At its deeper level, and I, in a three-hour workshop, for example, we don't go so deep with this, but on a longer course or retreat, we really might start going quite deep into emotional release on the voice. And for me, that's an important part of unlocking the voice's potential, exploring the different things that our voices can do outside the range of how we usually use them in speech and in song. And so therefore discovering more scope for creative expression and more parts of ourselves that we maybe don't usually feel or allow ourselves to feel in everyday life.
So you coach one-on-one -on -one and you have group coachings? Yes. Yeah. I, at the moment, I am not going to offer one-on-one -on -one coaching just like that. It's another part of my strategy deriving very much from how I want my days to look like. Mm -hmm. And for me, running around to different appointments with different people is a bit stressful. And so what I'm going to do instead, starting in autumn, is there's going to be an eight-week course, which will be a combination. We'll meet with a group once a week because group work and using our voices together is this beautiful part of voice exploration that I think is lacking in one-on-one -on -one coaching. But at the same time, you sign up for the course, you come for the group sessions once per week, and you also get a weekly one-on-one -on -one session with me where we go deeper into your personal challenges and and joys and whatever you want to go into around working with your voice. So this becomes this sort of like in-depth, immersive eight-week course that involves some one-on-one -on -one coaching, but also keeps very present this group work that I think is so important to really unlocking the voice. We sort of empower and inspire each other, right? When everybody in the room is using their voice in a certain way, it unlocks and unleashes something so that people can say, wow, I didn't realize this was what singing was. I feel like I'm just right now really truly singing and having other people, we need other people, I think, to really get into that. So group work for me is where the magic really happens and then one-on-one -on -one coaching is more to deepen, deepen that, make it more personal for each person. Mm. I, I uh, assume that uh, we both have a similar understanding of that everything is relational or everything is connected and uh, I really feel like uh, you take... Uh, so many valuable experiences and lessons with you into your musicianship and uh, you seem so incredibly well equipped <laughs> as a as a musician and to 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 do what you want when it comes to your work with the voice and also our diet hasn't yet been up in this podcast and I was really curious when I found all of these podcast episodes where you talk about the keto diet, if finding the right diet for you also has had an impact on your approach to music making or how music making even uh, feels like. I guess there's a different energy or state of mind that comes with one's diet. I think in order to answer this question, I might have to tell a story. <laughs> yes. Or maybe not a story, but <laughs> it feels like I need to go a little bit back in time to start answering this question. Because when I was living in Bolivia, and also before that, I was very, very into diet and exercise. Very, very into it. In this actually quite nerdy way. And I also think a little bit over-controlling way. Like there was something about control that was coming out in the way that I was eating and the way that I was working out. And I remember in Bolivia, I was eating a very strict keto diet. 
doing a lot of intermittent fasting. And I was very, very lean, very muscular. And if you think, like I lived in the city of La Paz, which is at about 3,400 meters, where I was living was about that elevation. And I would go to the gym at that altitude every day for about two hours. And on the weekends, I would cycle up the mountain to another city, El Alto, which was at 4,100 meters. So I was very fit and very strong. And I was also thinking a lot about that all the time. And I think now that I look back retrospectively, it was a very beautiful thing to enjoy this extreme health of like feeling my body so strong. And it also took up so much of my internal space to be in that. Mm. But I was very nerdy about that in Bolivia. I was so nerdy about it that as a vacation, I went to San Diego to a low carbon keto nutrition conference. And that is actually where I met my boss who then hired me and that is the that is the reason I moved to Stockholm to work in this nutrition company. And that is why I've been on those three podcast episodes because I was sort of the head of the Spanish division of this nutrition website. And I also like it was a it was a beautiful job in many ways, you know, like I got to travel around to conferences in Latin America and speak at conferences and yeah, be in podcasts and it's been a nice way that my voice has still been present in my work. But as I started to like be in my life in Stockholm, I started to understand a little bit more about myself and where this controlling nature comes into my, my diet and my exercise. And actually for several, several months, I also just dropped everything. I stopped working out, I stopped caring about what I ate, and I think I put on about 20 kilos in weight when mm. I arrived in Stockholm. That was a big process for me, a big process, because I felt like a lot of my focus on diet and nutrition had been about image and how I looked, and it was hard for me to put on this weight and see myself in this way and still have this confidence around my everyday life. This was another process of sort of learning to love my body, whatever it looks like. Mm -hmm. And so now I don't eat keto anymore. I still do some intermittent fasting and now I, I try to eat healthily and I work out each day, but the working out has only been for the last couple of months that I've, uh, I love yoga folks, yoga studio in Sardamal. I also teach on Fridays a voice, like almost vocal yoga thing at their studio on Fridays. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got me back into working out. And it feels like now, now I have matured enough in myself and I have enough self-love in myself that the exercise comes from this wish to have energy and feel strong and healthy and this does give me a lot more sort of like freshness and vibrance in my creative process mm. and it feels like now now it can come from this much healthier space and in terms of diet i live in a collective um, in tulinga where we share all of our food communally and we cook a lot together and we eat a lot together 
and we cook pretty healthy. And I've let go of this, I do eat this, I don't eat that, I eat this, I don't eat that. And sort of sitting down together as a little collective family and sharing those meals together, I think has done a lot more for me in terms of a healthy approach to eating than what I used to do when I was on the keto diet. Mm. I don't want to knock, I don't want to bash the keto diet, but for me personally, I had these different emotional issues around food and being that restrictive with my eating was not working out for me. Mm. I haven't really thought about until now that uh, f for a good music education, pretty much anything uh, should be involved somehow. It was during my master's degree that I could actually choose an elective called the musical body, which had to do not a lot with diet, but, but with exercise, maybe a little more. But of course, how one's relationship to food is, how it makes one feel, how one feels about body. It has so much to say about what we do every day. During my bachelor's degree, I had uh, my most extreme period of uh, being very fascinated by raw veganism. And uh, I felt at some point convinced that that was the way to go. And I was thinking about food all the time. So I was at the end of my bachelor's degree as a cello student and I was just obsessed with what I was eating and I was craving food all the time because on a raw vegan diet I think most people would crave food all the time and as I think back on my whole education I, I for sure spent as much time thinking about what to eat that I was on my study and now I've also come to a uh, something that feels good for me and feels balanced for me and it gives me the energy that I like to have but it's been a really long road to get there and it did not happen during my studies for sure uh, so much interesting stuff yeah I mean I guess like you say everything becomes relevant because when we play music we are expressing what is inside of us yeah in this very raw way and so everything affects that yeah. everything yeah for sure and i'm also thinking about health like it's so common for musicians to get an injury somewhere because of monotonous movements and uh, passive postures and uh, when focusing on music there's less focus on does my body feel good right now and one can get stuck in something that turns out to cause an inflammation or something in the long run so to to actually be healthy can actually prolong one's life as a musician and this is the first time the topic comes up in mm. this podcast it's exciting to see what comes up yeah and i um have had a habit of asking people what it means to be a musician but as the episodes goes on I can kind of take it less and less seriously. So, do you identify with this label of musician? Well, like I say, it is very hard for me to identify with this label as a musician. And at the same time, I can feel that it is very important for me to be able to step into this and own it. Because mm. 
If I think what I would say to somebody else who wasn't me, so that I have a little bit of distance and perspective from that, I would say that, you know, if when you play music, you feel this fire inside, like everything inside is lighting up, or like if you feel like you need to play music to somehow like process and integrate what's inside, or if like music is what you go to when you feel really sad and it's what gives you comfort, then you are a musician. You are a musician. And it's again, this, this focus on process, not results. It's like, of course, if I spend hours and hours of my day playing music, I must be a musician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And one other interesting thing too is that people who are in bands don't seem to have the same type of issue. Like, it's pretty common, I think, for people in... Like, so I'm thinking about my band, because I had a couple of them here making an episode. And a lot of people playing rock and pop didn't study music. They just do what I like to do. And uh, it seems like, yeah, it's uh, not so hard for them to say, oh, okay, sure, I'm a musician, I play every day, so why not? And there's something uh, special about the music outside of certain genres, mm. it feels like. So we are very privileged to have you here in Stockholm, where people can actually participate in your courses. Is there anything that people who don't live in Stockholm can do to... I mean, do you have any online offers, for example? Yes. Oh. Now, I'm not really sure when my website is actually going to launch, but we are right now in this time of very, very heavy activity with preparing for this launch. It's like we're on the final sprint to the finish line of launching this website. And once it is launched, there will be a member area of the website where you can sign up and pay nine euros or 90 crowns a month and get access to video courses in all sorts of aspects of voice activation. Like what I'm working on right now is a course on vocal power, how to bring more power into the voice. Another course on vocal spontaneity, which involves a lot of improv. And another course on vocal harmony for beginners, where there's sort of like different colored kims on the screen and you can follow one of them to sort of learn that harmony part for the song that sort of goes into harmony. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff online for members. And from the autumn, I'm having a little summer break, but in the autumn I will relaunch my courses and retreats. And there will be online Zoom versions of each of those for people who don't live in Stockholm. Because like I say, I really... My favourite, and what I say where the magic happens, is in these group, live, in-person workshops. However, yeah, I'm tied to a location and not everybody can come. And I have learned how to also make a very powerful experience through Zoom in a different way. Like, there's different ways that I need to create that space and hold that space online, but it works. Mm. And so people who live anywhere, as long as they speak enough English to join, they can join. You can join. 
If the shower is the only place that you dare to sing If your colleagues don't hear the ideas that you've got to bring If you stammer and stutter when you think somebody's hot If your feelings make your tongue feel like it's tied in a knot If your heart's ever fluttered from an inspiring speech Or you've ever screamed the farthest that your voice could reach I think voice equals power And if you think the same Then come over to my website It's the same as my name KimCadrash.com KimCadrash.com How can you forget it when it's in a song? KimCadrash.com KimCadrash.com Sing it loud, write it down Don't spell it wrong KimCadrash.com KimCadrash.com Singing, speaking, meditation, tools for every situation. Come on now, and don't delay. The world should hear what you have to for listening. Just in case you didn't catch the name of Kim's website, I'll include it in the show notes for safe measures. You can find my email address in the show notes and on my website ringnilwesenberg.com and you can also find this podcast on Instagram. <laughs>